0: Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran. We'll be talking uh, about technology in education and uh, how to get uh, more f- kids uh, interested in uh, all of these STEM things and uh, create uh, more opportunities uh, for um, students to learn uh, about what their options are at, at different ages and get access to uh, all of these things this week. Uh, this is an important topic for us uh, on CyberTalk Radio um, it's, well, not directly cybersecurity related. Um, if you're going to do cybersecurity, you're going to have to kind of be interested in math and science and have access to these type of education. And if we don't solve that, the, the all the jobs that are being created um, where we need cybersecurity professionals are not going to get filled. Um, there's not enough uh, adults out there with the skills, and there's not even enough adults going into adult education uh, to uh, solve all of these cybersecurity challenges that we have as we, we move from a physical paper uh, process economy to an all-digital economy. Uh, And so I would uh, go ahead and uh, introduce uh, our couple of guests we have here uh, this week to kick off. If you're going to be able to stick with us uh, on 1200WAI or on the iHeartRadio streaming app, that's uh, great. If not, um, this one will go up on our website, www.cybertalkradio.com, and out onto all the podcasting services across the internet on Tuesday, December the 10th. Um, So you can uh, look us up there. If you uh, do not see CyberTalk Radio uh, in your favorite podcasting app, please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, We will fix that, and we will uh, get you a CyberTalk Radio T-shirt for finding a spot where we do not have our content out there properly. Uh, So first up, uh, I'm joined uh, this week uh, by uh, Michelle Vega from the Intercultural Development Research Association, or IDRA. So, uh, Michelle, thank you for uh, coming to join us on the program.
1: No, thank you so much for inviting me.
0: And then uh, also uh, joined, and then uh, joined by a, a student that's involved in one of their programs, uh, Shreya, um, who uh, attends uh, Keystone School here in San Antonio. Shreya, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so want to just cover some background stuff for for folks out there in the listening audience on on what is the the IDRA, and then kind of how how did you guys get going in San Antonio?
1: So the Intercultural Development Research Association IDRA. Um, has been in San Antonio for the last 45 years. We were actually, uh, begun by Superintendent, um, Jose Cardenas, Dr. Jose Cardenas, uh, back in the 70s after the walkouts, the Chicano walkouts in San Antonio for, um, Edgewood and San Antonio ISD schools. The, one of the reasons the students did the walkout, the Chicano walkouts was because Schools weren't being funded equitably within the San Antonio area, so you had some school districts that were, you know, obviously getting a larger uh, portion of the pie. And so IDRA was started to help reform school finance. Um, Forty-five years later, we also house an EAC, which is what the abbreviation for the Equity Assistance Center South. So that is um, a program that is funded in part by the Department of Education and the Department of Justice um, to secure equitable education for all students across our region. That region goes from Virginia down to Florida all the way over to Texas. And so it's millions of students, thousands of school districts that we work with. Um, The equity assistance centers were actually started as desegregation centers. Um, to help the South eradicate uh, segregated schools, and so yeah, what- for the
0: younger listeners in our audience that uh, uh, not familiar with Brown versus the Board of Education, it used to be uh, legal um, in America to have uh, students sorted by race um, into different separate schools. Um, and then there's a, another ruling I think that uh, continued on from there, um, specifically around Latino and some other uh, integration that that um, covered that as well. Do you remember? that? I think you're
1: talking about Doe Plyler.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was the Department of Ed versus Plyler. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, this is something that's still going on. I mean, there's still 200 desegregation cases in the, um, American South. And so of course we say it's not enough to desegregate. You also have to integrate, uh, because what ends up happening is you have schools that, um, are accepting students from just their general area, which, doesn't always include diversity, right? So we have to integrate as well. But yeah, that's how IDRA started. Since then uh, we've grown and we've had, um, we have multiple different projects and we continue to do uh, teacher professional development and cultural relevant uh, pedagogy um, training sessions and restorative justice and all of that good stuff. Um, My role there is chief technology strategist. So um, I do as most techs do, basically anything that they need in regards to technology.
0: Yeah, and and so... Um, as you you hear about some of these things that um, Michelle mentioned, so the the teacher uh, continuing uh, education and development is is critical because uh, so in Texas um, and this is I think most states, teachers have to have um, specific credentials in order to teach certain classes. So if you wanted to offer computer science and you were a high school principal, if you didn't have any of your teachers at your high school credential to teach that computer science class you're not able to offer it so your students don't get access to ap computer science Um, and and so this credentialing piece uh, is is really critical and important to providing equal access uh, to students in every school across all the districts because i think there's many listeners out there go you know what well like we just passed school finance reform here in the legislature and um, everything is is done it's sorted out this is a solved issue now and and there's still a, a lot of challenges, and this is um, from um, districts that have um, lots of resources, uh, but it's also the districts have challenges in being able to uh, attract and retain the, the faculty that they need to, to provide the types of classes that students need to get a, a science and tech education these days.
1: Right. And, and professional development is one of those things where, you know, I strongly believe that iron sharpens iron, right? So um, in order to keep our skills sharp and to keep skills uh, up to date, and especially with technology, it, you have to continuously train. And you have to continuously learn. I mean, we are all lifelong learners. There's no stopping, Um, especially in the tech field, because technology is a moving target. If you think you know it at all, five minutes later, you're not going to know anything.
0: If you think you know it all, you actually (laughs) haven't even reached the point of uh, enlightenment to where you realize you don't. Uh, Because no (laughs) no one, yeah, until you reach that point where you know that you actually know nothing, because none of us, you can be uh, really knowledgeable and study a lot of things and still know. Next to nothing. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a, you constantly end up feeling like a pretender yeah. to a certain extent, uh, but that's okay. Because again, with this particular field, I think that um, that's what keeps me interested, and and that's what I try to uh, definitely share with colleagues is that it is constant and ever changing. And if you never want to be bored, go into tech.
0: Yeah, well, f- for sure. Yeah, and there's, there will be an infinite number of new things coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, one of the, uh, Michelle, one of the other items I uh, really like to get out and share with uh, our listening audience is uh, how you ended up in this chief technology strategist role. So, um, like your background, did you uh, at age six decide, you know what, I'm going to be a, a, a tech nerd a little bit and I'm going to go in this technology career path? Or
1: I feel like this is the moment when the Star Trek anthem needs to play. Right. So, yeah. no. No, no, no. Um, no, I, I did not. Not no. when I was six years old. Um I you know, I, I think as far as being that young and knowing what you want to do, you pick the things that you see in front of you, right? Yeah. So you pick doctor, police officer, teacher, things like that when you're six years old and then as you get older, um, you are exposed to more things and then you're um you just change your mind on what you wanna do and I still tell people I don't know what I want to do when I grow up only because, again, technology is so ever changing that I feel like at any moment I have a new opportunity to maybe go another route. Um, but how it all began was, um, you know, you go to school, uh, K through 12, try to figure it out. You end up working. Um, that's what I did. I didn't go directly to, uh, college. I decided I needed to, to get a job first and uh, back then you could open up the express news or the san antonio light and look at the classifieds yeah and see all the jobs that were available in your uh general skill level and now you
0: go to LinkedIn or Indeed.com.
1: <laughs> exactly, it's all changed. And so as I, I started noticing that if you had any kind of tech skills, whether it be uh, secretarial or just very entry level, you were still going to get paid more than anyone else. So um, I I started leaning that direction. Um, and then I just started, um, I was one of those people that always applied for the job, even though I wasn't qualified for it.
0: Yeah, this is, this is one, <laughs> so for, for, for female listeners and then demographically, um, most of you out there will be afraid to do what Michelle did.
1: No, I was, I yeah. was young, so I was like, I can do it all, you know?
0: That's it, good. Yeah, And, and I mean, because if you go to the, if you can, if they give you the interview then like, as long as you're telling the truth, like here's all my skills, here's what I believe I can go do, and they hire you, then you get the opportunity. And if they say no, then you learned and you can ask them, well, why are you going to decide to not hire me? And then they'll tell you and then you can go back and work on those things.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. And um, I, I didn't think that I was doing any kind of trailblazing or something that was out of the norm. I just figured you know you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket right so you can't get the job if you don't apply for it and uh, you never know who all is applying it's 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 a blank slate so you don't know who you're up against so if anybody's going to count me out it's not going to be myself i'll let everybody else count me out (laughs) but it won't be me um so yeah i just applied for jobs and little by little um i started getting really decent jobs i i wanted to get out of food service I, i i definitely noticed that that was not a safe space for women in general.
0: No. I mean, I think it's a that's a, a great first job um, for for folks is to learn because um, you have good days and bad days there. You will have good managers and bad managers. You'll have good teammates and bad teammates. You'll have customers that really appreciate you and you will have customers that don't appreciate you and learning to deal with all of those. Are Those are skills that are important across every job and every industry. And and they'll pay you a little bit of money, not very much in food service, but they'll pay you a little bit to learn all those lessons. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's a great customer service uh, proving ground, uh, as you said. I mean, you have to um, make people happy regardless as to how you feel about them. Yeah. or um, how they feel about you. I mean, it's just like, no, we're here to do a job. let's let's do this together and make it as pleasant as possible. Uh, but nonetheless, like I said, I, I just started applying for jobs that um, were above my education level as well as my skill level, but um, I got them every yeah. time. So, um, I started in banking and then from banking, I went to educate uh, actually digital conversions. So they needed um there was a company here in San Antonio called LASON and they were doing digital conversions from um microfish, if you remember that technology, yeah. <laughs> over to the, uh, digital platforms. And so I started doing that and then from there I, I got a job at um Education Service Center Region 20 um as a digital um a digital resource specialist essentially. And so uh library databases, training, um, you know, things of that nature. But, um, in between all that, I was, um, at UNT, um, uh, getting a position, uh, I'm sorry, getting my degree in performance improvement and applied technology yeah. was the name of the degree. Cause I was looking for a degree that matched my, um, my experience, um, especially coming from an education, um, perspective. When you see people that didn't go in to become a teacher, they are a plumber or they are, Um, I don't know, an engineer, anything, you could be anything. And now you want to be a teacher, you have to get your alternative certification. Yeah. And so one of the things that I noticed as I was watching these uh, individuals that either had their degree or didn't as they went through that particular program, um, was that if they didn't marry their experience with their education, it was a mismatch on their resume. And so then that gave uh, employers pause, I think, to hire them. So I was like, I'm not going to let that happen to me. So (laughs) I just looked for a degree that married my experience. And then once I got it, then I went from Region 20 to Northside. And I did technology training there for about five to six years. And now I'm at IDRA.
0: Yeah. And I it's it's one uh, that... Uh, from an education perspective out there, uh, you can go to school trying to figure out what you want to do or you can figure out what you want to do and then go to school to accelerate um, the career. And uh, as as you're out there um, and kind of just in the listening audience thinking about this sort of stuff, if you're a parent or a grandparent thinking about this, um, with your kids today, uh, I believe that there's kind of more of an option to um, – Experiment um, on the career side of things and give the the students an opportunity to figure out what they want to do because if you believe you want to do something and then three and a half years into that degree, you change your mind and don't finish that degree, the amount of money you've spent and the amount of time you've spent there – can be a real detriment to the next decade or more of your life from a, a career perspective. So um, if you, and, and the, you know, the other one from a quality of life perspective, you're three and a half years in that degree, you're probably going to finish whatever that degree is, even though you don't want to do it anymore and go work in that career field for a decade to pay off the, the degree that you uh, went towards. So um, I, I encourage folks um, to know what you want to do really before you start diving headlong into that four-year university degree. Um, Alamo Colleges in this area, amazing options. Um, Alamo Promise rolling out now, uh, which will enable um, you to go potentially completely free to get your um, undergraduate associate's degree requirements knocked out. And so those are just college-level general education that everyone's going to need to have. And go do those and work a little bit while you're doing it and and continue to grow and figure those things out um, before um, you go really spend a, a serious amount of money heading in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of high schools here in town that will actually, I mean, I've, I cannot tell you how many of my nieces and nephews um, have graduated with an associate's degree. Um, you know, there's uh, Cass Med, I believe, is one of those schools. Travis
0: uh, Early College High School, Brooks. there's a ton of them. Yeah, there's yeah. a
1: ton of them, and it's such an amazing thing because you go, it's it's life-changing to a certain extent, generationally, especially, I think, for families because what, you, what we've essentially, um, what's happening, I should say, is that you have ki- uh, kids from families that didn't go to college, right, right? First gen is getting blown out of the water if the kids are going to one of those campuses because they're coming out of high school with a college degree.
0: Yeah. And
1: that is just, it's life changing. I mean, the, the more education you have, um, the more money you're going to make. The, I mean, there's so many statistics that show the more healthier you're going to be and all of those wonderful things. So yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible.
0: So uh, as you, you've seen uh, a, a broad perspective working at the first at the regional level at a district level and now at a, a more focused organization, uh, are we making progress in the right direction, all of this stuff? And, and are, are there spots where um, we've just sort of been stuck in our parking space still?
1: Um, I think it I think it's a little bit of both. I think that uh, we're definitely making uh progress. Uh I think that we as a society are moving in the right direction. Where I mean, we haven't worked ourselves out of a job yet, I say, you know, as far as IDRA is concerned. Yeah. The, the the playing field is not quite level yet. Uh, but we're definitely working towards that. And I, I do believe that technology is a great Uh, way to level that playing field because you don't need a lot of money. You do need access, but you don't need a lot of money to to dip your toe in the pool that is technology and then grow from there. Um, But in general, I mean, we still see, you know, uh, prison to school pipeline is fairly strong. You know, we're really trying to uh, work to uh, create policy that'll prevent a lot of that. Um, we, as far as finance, I mean, things are still not equitable. And, and I, we understand why, and I understand why as well. But I mean, we still want to see, um, kids, regardless as to where they live in San Antonio, that they're going to receive the same quality education that other students receive, whether they're at a private school, a charter school, or an open enrollment public school. Um, where I see the most danger right now is in the charter school, um, Segment, not because charter schools aren't great. I mean, there's a lot of really great ones, and kids are get, coming out with some really quality education. It's just that when students move from a public school to a charter school, it changes the finance of the public school. And so since the public school is having t- to um, um, adjust, it's it's making things a little bit more difficult. And then also what ends up happening is that, and again, this is, this is from my very limited knowledge. I, I have the the privilege of working with a lot of very intelligent people strong subject matter experts in this area and so i have i don't have the same depth and breadth that they have uh, regarding the situation but um what i see and what i have personally seen firsthand is you end up with a public school from an area that might be facing a lot of challenges and the students that are there are the students that couldn't go to a private school or couldn't go to a charter school because there maybe the requirements were too stringent. Yeah, or,
0: application process is complicated. All the rest. A of lot that of, stuff, a lot yes. of,
1: there's a lot of hurdles, and so um, it's they're not as open enrollment as we would like to think. And then additionally, if you do get into a, a charter school, um, and your your grades aren't quite there, then it's just like you know what, go back to the public school when you get a little bit. When things get better, you can come back here, yeah. and and that you know that's not what school's about. You know, I mean, school is supposed to. Yes, you're supposed to have challenging classes and and rigor and all of those things, but it's not equitable to have students with more challenges all left behind in certain spaces, and the children that are excelling allow them to go somewhere else. It it, it changes the campus culture, the psychology of the campus, the psychology of the people left behind. Um, it does a lot of, of, um, detriment.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a super nuanced and, and complicated topic, but, uh, um, I mean, at a, a macro level, everyone knows that competition in markets um, drives innovation and can make things better, um, but while you have innovation happening in competition in markets, you, things can also uh, end up getting worse for some individuals inside of that system while it's while it's happening. And um, I think we're seeing a lot of great things uh, with the school districts, the big public districts, um, innovating and, and uh, reacting to some of this mm-hmm. now and figuring how to deal with it. If you have a 30% enrollment drop at a campus, how do you cover budgeting and all those sorts of things there now, and um, and and with those changes um, as well? And I think the states um, and federal government level are figuring out how to um, uh, fund and um, hold accountable the charter schools in a similar manner that they fund and hold accountable the public schools, because um, uh, Texas most uh, charter. Um, where you can have them in-district. It can be a district-run charter or a private charter. Um, the accountability stuff's been a little bit different. I think it's all getting um, quite a bit better uh, around that now, but this is learning and innovation. Um, it's, I'm a big fan of innovation, but if it's your child um, in these schools as part of the innovation, it's, it's hard for, for parents to sit and see some of that. But as we are talking about kind of access and equity and technology i was thinking back like when uh, my generation if your parents could afford to to buy the encyclopedia britannica mm-hmm. you had that and then like they came and whether they could afford to buy the whole thing up front or whether you you were on the subscription plan where you got like one book a month in the mail for for 3 years or 4 years mm-hmm. until you had the whole set of encyclopedias that was a differentiator for um, student performance because if you were a kid and you had a question you could go grab the encyclopedia and go look it up um, and they like the I think the whole big set was thousands of dollars like it was oh, yeah. this was this was not an inexpensive thing and you it, it just triggered with me because we've done some uh, other discussions uh, on the program about um, whether students have internet access at home and kind of some of that digital divide and gap and it's much less expensive to get the the internet access at home now um, and to have some technology access at home than it was to buy the encyclopedia back in the day or be able to um, go over to the library to pull that microfish reader out and scan around. Um, for for those that don't know what a microfilm reader is, <laughs> it, um, like you've probably seen pictures of uh, like actual rolls of film or negatives, and this is a a way where like. Uh, a whole book could get digitized Mm -hmm. into a a smaller piece of film. And then, so instead of having to store massive shelves of books or archives of newspapers, you're storing photographs of them and they can store it in a much more um, efficient manner. That's all going digital now. uh, But you go to some of the uh, archive or law libraries or places like that. Still, you'll still see uh, microfilm readers um, in use in, in places. um, And, but those were super common. Every, I mean, I think my elementary school had a microfilm reader in our our little elementary school library to look up uh, newspapers when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, we had one of those. I think nowadays you have to see an old scary movie to find out what's happening in the old haunted house to to see microfilm.
0: You're listening to 1200 WAI, and this is Cyber Talk Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Brett Pitt. If you just uh, hopped in your car and turned the radio on right now, uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, for a news, traffic, and weather update here at the bottom of the hour. We're talking about uh, technology and education. Uh, With a a couple of guests uh, today, the second half of the program, uh, we're going to talk about a a science uh, program that uh, ties uh, students in and and has high school students uh, helping uh, develop and mentor and and all sorts of other different things. So uh, if you can stick with us, uh, you will hear more from uh, Shreya and Michelle uh, on the second half here. If you're not going to be able to stick with us, uh, check out our website, www.cybertalkradio.com. This program uh, will go up there on Tuesday, December 10th. It will also go out to uh, all the podcasting services all across the internet. And if you also uh, wanted to learn uh, more about uh, the digital divide and uh, other uh, different uh, education-related cybersecurity topics going on, uh, tons of programs in our archive. We've been uh, on the air here uh, now uh, coming up on a little bit more than three years. Uh, So uh, lots of uh, things where we've uh, gone deep into some of the areas Michelle and I touched on in the first half of the program uh, at a high level. Uh, So with this, uh, we're going to dive into that news, traffic, and weather update, and we will be back with CyberTalk Radio in just a few moments. Welcome back. To cyber talk radio i'm your host brett piatt a 20-year internet security veteran if you're uh, in your car listening to us you just got a news traffic and weather update if you are checking this out on our podcast archive we do not include the news traffic and weather history um, we don't feel like it's really relevant to our podcast listening audience if If you would love to have that news, traffic, and weather in the middle of the podcast just to know what the weather was like on Saturday evening, December 7th in 2019, I guess we could archive that into perpetuity on the podcast, but probably not. I have not had any requests for that to be added in yet. Uh, So uh, if uh, you are... Uh, going to stick with us. Uh, this half of the program, we're going to dive into the uh, chief science officer uh, discussion uh, with uh, both of our guests here. Uh, Michelle will talk a little bit about the background of it. Uh, if you do want to learn about that program and how this uh, helps uh, with access to science and all sorts of other things that they're going to help educate me on... Uh, you can stick with us or uh, check us out on our website, www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, Tuesday, December 10th, this will go up there uh, along with uh, all the rest of our archive history. So this chief science officer program, so... Uh, um IDRA involved, coordinating, sponsoring. How does how does IDRA tie into this program in San Antonio? Because this is a, a national program as well, right?
1: Right. It's actually in a national and international uh, program. So the CSO program was initiated in 2015 uh, by and Dr. That's
0: not chief security officer for our listening audience. Oh, it's chief, yes. science it's chief science officer. Sorry. Yes, it's all good. Case. Yeah. No, our listening audience is thinking... <laughs> Uh they've chief security officers? Yeah, that's the <laughs> most of the cyber that's one of the cybersecurity job titles.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Good to know. It's good all good. Know. All right. So the Chief Science Officers program was initiated in 2015 uh, by Arizona based uh, company called SciTech Institute with Dr. Jeremy Bevenger. And um, we actually got um, IDRA started with the program because the program had already come to San Antonio before there was anybody here to run it. And that started because there were two students at um, the science and engineering school at John Jay High School. So they have their JSEA program. And um, there were two students there, uh, Kelly and Lexis, and they had heard about the program. I guess they were just kind of bouncing around online and then they saw the program on the
0: internet thing that everyone needs access to. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And they were like, Oh my gosh, this is a great program. We want it. And, um, so Dr. Rudy Reyna and, uh, with the STEM Alamo STEM ecosystem and those, uh, two students brought the program to San Antonio. Um, I think at the time there was about eight campuses, uh, of people that were interested in participating. And so we kind of call that our pilot year. Uh, Because obviously without any kind of local representation there's communication issues and it's hard to get people coordinated. So um, we, IDRA, um, is part of the Alamo STEM ecosystem and so they had asked if there was any organizations that would be willing uh, to participate. And we were like, yeah, that's right up our alley. I mean, we believe firmly in student voice. We feel that students need a voice in their education it empowers them it, it, it creates more buy-in and so um, we decided to go ahead and partner with SciTech to bring it to San Antonio um, uh, officially so this is the second year that it's here in San Antonio we have over 97 students that come from school districts and private schools from across the area. Um, Shreya, the, our other guest here, um, is from Keystone School. Um, but we also have Northeast ISD, Northside ISD, South San Antonio ISD, San Antonio ISD, um, Southwest ISD, and Houston. So we're piloting it in Houston right now. Um, and then uh, Dr. Stephanie Garcia, one of my colleagues. She's actually in talks with uh, Clint ISD in uh, El Paso and then also some campuses in Austin. So um, it's spreading pretty quickly. Um, again, it's a completely student voice of our students or our CSOs as we like to call them. Um, the goal is to create a diverse uh, group of STEM leaders uh, to increase, increase communication and collaboration among CSOs regardless of to what school district or what area um, they are in, um, also to enrich school STEM culture and career a uh, career awareness and to increase student voice in the STEM conversation. Uh CSOs are six to twelve uh twelfth graders, but we do have a couple of elementary students from uh Southwest ISD that wanted to participate. So we're piloting um elementary campuses. Um, but it is an international program, as you mentioned, so there are students in Kuwait, uh Kenya, Mexico. And I also believe, um, who else is in there? I think maybe Canada. I don't know. But either way, it's an international program.
0: Well, it's good to see. And, and it, I think it's, it's also excellent that it's getting down to student voice at the elementary level. Is, um, I'm involved with some of the Alamo STEM ecosystem uh, work as well. And, and well, some of the data that we're seeing there says that only um, this year is going to be the first year that the high school pathways uh, graduates are coming out. And I saw stats that said only 3% of these high school graduates are going to have the STEM pathway. So if like we talk about all of these jobs being in STEM fields um, and all this opportunity and all these great careers and all of this stuff, the awareness at that middle school level where they're kind of coming into high school and choosing their pathway is, is not correlating into um, students picking that path. So um, I think this is, is really critical work to get the feedback from the, the students on, on what's working and what's not working because right now um, we're not getting... A whole bunch of kids through the STEM pathway for sure.
1: Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know, if an adult tells the kid, Hey, you should do this versus another student telling another student peer to peer, you should do this.
0: Yeah. How uh, awesome it is. And yeah,
1: yeah, it definitely changes the conversation and it also changes, I think how the students see themselves. And that's the uh, biggest trick I think is seeing yourself in that space so that you can actually pursue it. Because if you don't see yourself there, then it still seems kind of unattainable. It seems like magic, like how am I gonna figure this out? And, um, and these guys, these CSOs, I mean, they really help demystify and um, take away some of that clutter, uh, I think, for their fellow students.
0: Yeah, so Shreya, so you've been uh, so uh, nice, and well, I've been asking uh, Miss Vega all these questions here. Uh, how did you find out about this Chief Science Officer program?
2: It was the, the day before the first pilot year event, And uh, my technology teacher basically said, hey, there's this super cool opportunity called being a chief science officer, would anyone be interested in doing it? And so I was interested along with a couple other people in my grade level, and we had to write up an essay, uh, three essays, and uh, we had an anonymous election in our class, and they chose which essay would be best, and so me and my partner Riley, we were selected, and we got to go to the uh, Leadership Institute, which is really cool.
0: Okay, so so you, you got into this program. So when when your technology teacher asked for volunteers, like why did you, you stick your hand up and not just kind of hide in the back corner of the classroom and pretend you didn't hear them?
2: Uh, well, so in my school, we are already super STEM-y, and I was pretty immersed in STEM, and we we'll, sort of surprising for me, as you guys just sort of mentioned, was not many students get as many STEM opportunities or are as interested in STEM as I, and so I wanted to use Chief Science Officers as a medium to spread my love and passion for STEM to other people and sort of add general exposure to this field.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you said you then got to go to this leadership institute. So, um, yeah, walk me through what kind of what happened there and and why, because you got your eyes lit up. You're really excited. You're like, this was a super cool experience. So share a little bit of the, what is this leadership institute and how did that you get to interact with your other chief science officers?
2: So we started off with a couple icebreakers, just sort of what your name is. We learned the uh, CSO introduction that we have to have. You say hello. My name is Shreya, insert your name. And I'm the chief science officer and STEM ambassador of then your school, Keystone School. And so we learned, it was sort of like business school in a way, or what I envisioned business school to be. Uh, and we learned like, how to have a proper handshake, how to send a formal email, and stuff like that. Uh, And afterwards, to get the science aspect in, we had lecturers and speakers from different companies around San Antonio. Uh, That first year, we had people from Boeing, USAA, and companies like that. And we got to learn about different STEM careers, got to ask some questions, and it was really an amazing experience.
0: Yeah, so uh, where did they host this at?
1: We were very fortunate to have Palo Alto as our sponsor for the event. And, um, the first one was actually done at Northside at their activity center. So they hosted it for free and, um, gave us some breakout rooms. And then for the second one, uh, we had that at Palo Alto. And again, it's Palo Alto was very gracious. I mean, we had their auditorium and several of their classrooms for, Approximately a hundred, a little over a hundred students running around their campus.
0: Yeah, so for listeners outside the San Antonio area, that's a Palo Alto College, uh, and it's, so it's one of uh, our um, Alamo uh, area. Two-year uh, degree granting programs. Uh, they do uh, all sorts of things in uh, STEM and engineering. Uh, lots of uh, uh, folks graduating from there with associates of applied science in all sorts of uh, cybersecurity or other uh, different advanced manufacturing degrees. So it's uh, excellent to, for the the uh, high school and maybe even all the way down to elementary school kids to go see a, a college campus and see what is a so less intimidating because for. Uh, many they've never set foot on a college campus right it's it's all these things i think that as you said we were talking a little bit about um, internet access and stuff during the bottom of the hour break um off the air and and because i uh, mentioned some of the previous programs like where we had jordana barton on from the federal reserve bank of dallas san antonio branch talking about uh, some of the demographics and stats around that and and there's all sorts of things you out there in the listening audience just take for for granted of Oh, well, if you want to go see what a college uh, campus looks like, you could, there's five four-year universities or maybe six around the San Antonio area. Just go walk on campus. It's not a scary thing. But for somebody else, they're like, am I allowed to be here? Am I going to get arrested for trespassing? I don't know if there's a legal rule about trespassing and walking around a college campus. But... I think if you just show up and and kind of parked in the right parking space, so there's restricted parking in a lot of them. they got student parking passes and whatnot. But if you show up and you just wanted to walk around and explore things and you were just there to learn and and find out more about the school, there's an admissions office and all those sorts of things, I think you can just go to them. it's, It's not something that you have to be afraid of.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious, Treya. I mean, for you, would you feel empowered to do that? Would you just walk onto college campus and be
2: like, Hey, I'm here. Show me around. <laughs> Honestly, I would probably be very terrified to just randomly go up to a college and start looking around. I've been to a couple colleges, but those, those, were for, uh, those were for specific events, like a lecture or something like that, but I don't think I could just randomly go to a college and start looking around. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's what the adults... Uh, that's what we forget, and I think that's why... Student voice is so important, right, that, um, you know, uh, we think we're creating these comfortable, welcoming spaces, and uh, they're not, apparently.
0: Super intimidating, (laughs) yes, yeah, Uh, for sure. So uh, Chief Science Officer Program, so you got to meet kids, I guess, all the way down. Um, uh, And So how was the the interaction there? Did they give you time to, to start networking with your other Chief Science Officers and share experiences and ideas?
2: Yeah, so we definitely started mingling. The first few hours are kind of awkward, but Kelly, uh, the international lead, she's really great, extremely extroverted, and so she can really get us to start interacting a lot. Uh, by like the second day, probably shook everyone's hands uh, from the original thing. I couldn't have shaken a hundred plus people's hands, uh, but. Yeah, we talk to each other. Some, I know some chief science officers are planning uh, coordinated events together from different campuses.
0: So do you, now, as, as part of this program, do you have some tech platform? Are you guys uh, communicating on some group chat on, on, online or emailing with each other and discussing things?
2: Uh, actually, so one of my action plans, whenever we want to do something, we call it an action plan. Uh, one of my action plans is to try to unite the CSO's community more, uh, Chief Science Officer community more, and uh, we're trying to have office hours. We're actually going to have our first one, I believe, December 3rd, and we're basically going to just uh, have a Google Meets call and sort of give updates, talk about stuff, and I'm actually really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. So I, I like a, yeah diving in and using Google Meet. Do you use Google Classroom at all at your school?
2: Uh, in my school, no. But no. for the program, yes. For the
0: program, yes. So yeah, this is. A, I mean, it's been interesting for me to watch, as I, as, as a business professional and employer. Um, the students are using more relevant technology now in schools than they they ever have before. Learning. Um, how systems from Google and Microsoft and, and whatnot, how that stuff works while they're um, in school and just getting comfortable with it, getting comfortable with emailing, getting comfortable with doing a collaborative online document or Google Meets. We use Google Meets professionally. I have a I have one in the, the our recording studio. If you want to look uh, on online and check the uh, archive out of this, or um, watch a, a still photo of us on YouTube, so we we don't do video for the program, uh, but we we do put up a still photo. You can see we've got a, a Google Meets um, hardware set up in our our room here that is our recording studio and also gets used for some other things at my business. Um, and and yeah, so I mean that's that super excited as a as a. Business person out here to hear that students are using and and setting up and running their own Google Meet to collaborate with each other.
1: Yeah, I I mean, me personally, I I, I do think that uh, it's an interesting time because the adults are learning at the same time the kids are because there's constant emerging technology. Back
0: to your continuing education stuff in the first half of the program. Yeah,
1: but I mean, you know, we're just kind of that's what we do. We're learning it because it's emerging technology. Let's get in our office. Let's figure out how to use it. How can we apply it towards business? And students are doing the exact same thing at the same time. Um, Also, I think that with the Chief Science Officer's program, you know, what you're alluding to is workforce development. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the students are are learning those soft skills that uh, employers say that they want, right? They want students that can put themselves out there, do public speaking, um, can shake hands and not feel awkward because I think that's-
0: Teamwork and collaboration. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So. Uh, so is um, this action plan, are there any other, um, as I, the other chief science officers in the area that have action plans that you're excited about to see come to life?
2: Uh, I know one that recently just passed was, I believe, in Central Catholic. Uh, they started, a, they had a mole day for uh, Avogadro's number. Unfortunately, I couldn't attend that, but it sounded really cool. CSO Ernesto. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, what was it? A
1: mold? M O L D? M O L E? Uh, M O L E.
2: Okay. From a gotcha's number. Uh, they did it on October 23rd for 10 to the 23rd. I'm not sure too sure about the details, but we had a poster on it in our school.
0: You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're talking about the Chief Science Officers Program. If your school does not have a Chief Science Officer, uh, reach out to the. Uh, Folks at the Intercultural Development Research Association here in San Antonio, Michelle can uh, help get you connected with the – people that run the chief science officer program across the nation. Uh, But let's uh, get more chief science officers going here in San Antonio to uh, encourage the growth and development of our STEM ecosystem. We have uh, more cyber patriot teams here than uh, any other cyber patriot region, so there's no reason we can't have more chief science officers as well. Uh, So, Shreya, what we were talking um, during one of our breaks here for a little bit, so one of the other things you're working on uh, is a, a FIRST Robotics Club, uh, yeah. So before you were a chief science officer, did you know about FIRST Robotics, or where did, how did you find out about it?
2: Uh, honestly, I figured out about FIRST Robotics by scrolling through MIT's recommended website, and I sort of clicked on everything until I found something interesting. And FIRST was something that sort of caught my eye, because prior in my school, I only knew about LEGO Robotics, and yeah. that was all we had offered. And so I'm trying to enhance our engineering program in Keystone by having a FIRST Robotics team. Uh, We recently had one new guy come to our uh, school named Yusuf, and he sort of introduced what he knows about FIRST Robotics team. Uh, We started collaborating with Brandeis and their Bronkbots, and they've been really helpful for helping us uh, starting to figure out what we're doing and things like that.
0: Yeah, uh, and so uh, I guess you're you're hoping that uh, you maybe you guys will be able to get the program off the ground for your junior year then.
2: Uh, yeah, actually, we're trying to compete this year. Uh, they start the first Saturday of January the, is when the, that's when the kickoff is. Uh, so right now we're just working on funding. Recently, First Inspires gave us a grant for four thousand this year and two thousand next year to compete. It it's six thousand for entry. And then roughly $4,000 for uh, any other costs. And I'm really happy that we got the grant. I'm also extremely thankful to Brandeis for helping us out. And I'm really looking forward to us starting.
0: Yeah, so I like the, I love the useful enthusiasm. Found out about the program. We're going to get into this year's season, which is good. Go for it. Uh, Because I think the first robotics is is excellent. Because it, it, as you were talking a little bit about those skills, it's, Requires teamwork, collaboration, problem solving, um, and and it's doing a lot of cool robotic stuff as well. But like those core skills of teamwork, um, competition, and problem solving, every career everywhere requires those. And as uh, computers get better at answering fact questions for us, um, they're not going to get that much better anytime soon at complex problem solving and and teamwork and the rest of those sorts of, of things. So those skills uh, will enable jobs and careers for the long run and this is something I think as, as adults as well but um, if you're out there in the listening audience thinking about workforce development and education in the future we got to realize that half of the jobs that, that that our kids that are in k- through 12 right now are going to do during their career don't exist yet um, and so this is the other one like it we're We've got to continue to foster and develop interests in areas such as STEM and science so that they can then go into a field, and in that field, they'll eventually figure out what their career is, but none of us know what their career is right now because it doesn't exist yet. Is that exciting or terrifying? Both. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, uh, another one, uh, Shreya, that we were talking about with was the uh, the core for STEM program. So, um you uh, got connected in with, with that program and as a chief science officer got to go kind of make a public appearance.
2: Uh, yeah. So I
1: think the, so the core for four uh, STEM they, uh, is with the Hispanic chamber of commerce and they host an event where they have uh, one day where they bring uh, Latinas to the, well actually it was at the Freeman Coliseum. Yeah. So they, they take, um, uh, you know, school buses from all around the area and, pile it up with a bunch of Latinas, and they go down and they experience a bunch of different uh, STEM career paths and demonstrations, or as we like to call them, STEMonstrations, um, and then the next day, they pile the school buses up with a bunch of Latinos, and then on the weekend, they have um, a public event where everyone can attend. So the chief science officers worked with Alequa, and they um, showed how to clean water um, with a div- with an Arduino and um, some filtering s- uh, solution, right? Do you want to tell them a little bit about the activity? and, and I think y- you ended up training about 100 or so um, young ladies, right? Because you were there on Latina Day? Yeah.
2: Okay. So I was just able to make it to Latina Day, and uh, we had groups, 6th grade, 7th grade, and 8th grade. Uh, what we did was we had clear water, and then we put a couple drops of acrylic paint We mixed it up. We showed that you can't filter the paint out if you'd use a normal coffee filter. Uh, We used this thing called electrolysis. Uh, What we did was we went ahead and put the cup and put some pieces of, I believe we used aluminum uh, this time, and then we just sort of made it run, and about 15 minutes later We were able to show how it filters now, which was really cool, and it blew a lot of the uh, young girls' minds, and that was great. I think they also were really
1: uh, great about asking the Latinas that were there watching the demonstration, this demonstration. Uh, about questions about water and how important water is, and how often you use it, because you know just like what we were talking about with the internet, if you don't think about it because you're you're used to having it, yeah. uh, you don't think about not having clean water. And so that was also part of the conversation. So you bring in some of the environmentalist uh, conversation into that, um, the need. So there's necessity, and then also how science can uh, remedy the situation. Um, and so I think if you bring all three of those pieces together, then it's like first don't dirty the water. But if you have, this is how you can clean it. Yeah.
0: You know, this is how the uh, San Antonio water system gets acrylic paint out of the yeah. water that gets fl- run down the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause that stuff will happen. I know we punch uh, pump, a bunch of water out of the, the aquifer and there's some, um, uh, Super cool science uh, cleaning that happens in just the water actually filtering down through the ground and the rest of that that you can do a bunch of uh, reading and studying about uh, nature's own filtration system there. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely treatment plants all over that uh, use electrolysis and other um technologies to, to clean things up. Well, uh, thank you both uh, very much for joining us here on CyberTalk Radio this week. Uh, hopefully the, out there in the listening audience, you've learned some about uh, the Intercultural Development Research Association. And if uh, you um, are excited and motivated to, uh, to get involved and to help spread STEM and to help uh, increase equal access to education so that uh, we can create uh, more folks uh, that want to work and participate in in the STEM economy that we are we're building in San Antonio and nationwide uh, reach out to uh, Michelle and the team there and if you want to learn more about the chief science officer program uh, check out the recap of our blog post we'll link into uh, some of the the specifics uh, for it um, so that you can get a chief science officer in your school